You are now listening to the people of digital marketing with your host, me, Kenny Soto. This podcast is your source for marketing strategies, tactics, and most importantly, career advice from the best digital marketers in the world. From B2B to B2C, startups to Fortune 500 companies, and everything in between, I interview experts in marketing so that we can grow to become better marketers together. If you're a marketer who wants a leg up in this space, well, guess what? You're in the right place. Thanks for tuning in. For me, I chose to be a deep generalist because of that kind of thing. I like uh, one of the things that actually I learned in university, um, and I actually recommend people take into look this up. It's called the integrated marketing framework. And it's exactly what I just said. And it's exactly what it sounds. It views everything as a as sort of like a, a piece, a cog that that needs to spin together in order to make this mechanism work. And for me, becoming a deep generalist means that I can understand how everything fits into not just everything fits, like how the company grows, but how it fits together in order to get there. You just listened to a clip from our newest guest on the podcast, Israel Siegel. Israel Siegel or Yes for short, is an engineer at heart. As a kid, he has always loved to take things apart, learning how they worked, and putting them back together. His passion is knowing how things work, how businesses work, and what drives successful people. Yes currently serves various clients as a fractional CMO and is a mentor on the Growth Mentor platform. In this episode, we dabble and, and go over several topics, but... A good summary is just discussing why it's important to be a deep generalist. Even if you specialize in an industry, business model, or channel, or set of channels, this episode's good just as a reminder, if you will, to showcase why it's important to dabble in as many things as possible when it comes to the world of marketing, because at the very least, you might not be a expert in many things but you will be a better collaborator with your team and if you're building a marketing team one day you know what to look for when you're recruiting so i hope you like this episode it's a little different from all the other ones because instead of focusing more so on just yes's story and how he became a marketer i really wanted to pick his brain on what he thinks about several different things like is Quora still a good channel for marketers to use? When should they use it? What does a good funnel look like? What are the essential elements of one? And we also talk about why he specifically sees himself as a deep generalist and what that means. If you've liked past episodes before, or if this is your first time listening, I think you'll like this episode. Now, without further ado, let's tune in. Hi, Iz. How are you? How are you going, Kenny? I'm going, it's going very well. It's a Tuesday, so can't complain. The week is still going very strong. Before we get into the nitty gritty aspects of your career, tactics you've leveraged, career advice you have to share, I'm curious, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Israel, actually. Oh, very cool. Very nice. So you are an international marketer, and it's it's great to see that we have a diverse set of guests on the podcast. And I know for a fact that you have a very unique story. 
So I want to start off by just simply asking you, how did you get into digital marketing? That's a really long story. So I got, I actually wanted to be an engineer. Uh, I've, I enjoyed my fascination with marketing very much links with, with engineering. I like understanding how things and mechanism works, right? Uh, and this is also, this ties into also why I, like I, I'm more of a generalist than I am a specialist as well. So I like understanding how things work and building different things. Uh, so I went from being an engineer, I studied some psychology, uh, a little bit of, uh, in university as well, and realized that I didn't really want to practice psychology, but I actually really enjoyed the the, the infrastructure, the, the, the actual, the entire system that is business and markets. It's this complex organism um, and mechanism that basically not only just it has, like it massively impacts society, but it, it itself is very complicated in order and sophisticated to get it work. And it just, um, and marketing is a huge part of how it can succeed. Obviously, you have different elements to it, but a good marketing can really, really spring forward the success of a company and good, good, uh, good leaders, good, good vision. And so I sort of made the transition into marketing. I went and I took those principles of, of engineering. I took those principles of, of psychology and I tested different things. I wanted to see what it was. Uh, the different platforms, like how to do marketing, the different tactics that they were. So I got involved with different companies at early stages to try and figure out. And then I moved around to more understanding, okay, what, instead of just like, let's say this is Google ads or this is this channel, what do I actually need to do to make this company grow? And so I went, essentially, I went from um, focusing on in one particular area to really trying to learn as many as much of things as could in different industries, understanding um, how marketing contributes to the overall growth of that company and how that impacts the, the industry that it, that it actually exists in. That's kind of led me to where I am today. I have heard this. So it's, it's become very common now, but I've heard many marketers have a background in psychology you have a background in engineering and psychology. What unique edge or advantage or even unique perspective do you think you gained from studying those two fields? Oh, that's clear. First of all, engineering gives me, um, it gives me this understanding and appreciation for the technology. I work mainly with technology companies. And so I can pick up the technology very quickly. I understand how... Um, I can go in, I know, I can understand which questions to ask. Sometimes it's just curiosity. I just want to really understand the product, but it's given me the ability to uh, not be shy about um, getting that understanding and uh, of that product so I can help market it. There's also certain things that's allowed me to do as well. Some of, some of the areas, let's say in the current position that I'm in, um, I also run the marketing automation. There's certain things that I need to do myself. And sometimes we don't have like, and some of those things require complex things and that requires understanding how different systems work. So part of, let's say, engineering is I also picked up of like, let's say some programming as well. And it's allowed me to sort of apply that to, mar to the marketing operations side of things as well in order to get the, the things that I want to get done and without doing a lot of intense, like repetitive work. I find that each interview that I have is very timely. 
and I'm learning about, I'm still very new, complete transparency for yourself and the listeners. I'm still very new in the world of marketing automation. So can you define marketing automation? Are every, is every task, is there a potential for it to be automated? When is it appropriate to consider automating a task? Can you elaborate on on those aspects? Sure. So marketing automation is essentially any any um, any function that allows you to not have to manually do something each time. That's a very broad definition. But like when you create, for example, if you create a remarketing audience, that is a form of automation. If you're uh, um, instead of getting like getting lists or uh, li- downloading lists of target audience, and you're using let's say uh, dynamic lists, like let's say within your CRM that's getting pushed out to, add to advertising channels, so you can better target that your those people in a timely manner. That's a form of automation. Any anything that is not you manually doing it is a form of automation. And some things um, when you connect certain things together, like let's say also. Uh, when you want to get certain reports together instead of manually downloading into an Excel and you find a way to develop that uh, more automatically so that's or and get that information more um, more programmatically or whatever it is, that is a form of automation. And obviously you have the classic automation, which is you just send out a bunch of emails, they're timed and whatever it is. So there's kind of two types of automation in in that in that in what I've described. There's functional, Automation, which is you just getting things done, right? There's and there's also things that actually do marketing itself, that actually contact, that actually send things to your actual audience. Now, the things that are just functional, especially if you're they're predictable, they're repeatable, they they don't require a lot of brain work continuously. They can all be automated, and they should all be automated because you should, as a marketer, be focused on moving the needle a little bit more and figuring out how I can grow whatever it is that you're doing. If you're working in social media, if you're working in paid media or PR or whatever it is, the focus should always be, okay, what can I actually do to push that client or push this company a little bit forward, which takes brain work. And you only have that, um, you only have that capacity if those menial tasks that can be automated are automated as much as they can. Then you have the classic, uh, the classic form of automation, which is sending out emails. Now, there's a, a few ways you can do this. You can personally, like if you want to do like, you can do like a lazy way, which is just whatever it is to everybody goes to the same thing, or you can go very complicated and just make it really hyper-personalized. That's also not scalable as well. It really depends on how much uh, on the strategy of the company. If you're dealing with a company that really requires individual-based strategies for each account, so if you're doing account-based marketing and you want each sort of different type of company needs a different strategy, then automation in that in that kind of sense can be very inappropriate. But if you are targeting a group of people and you know how to segment that group of people well. And it's not just that you're dealing with like five emails or whatever it is, whatever the number is. And it's not just that there's a sort of sophisticated thing and you have the capacity to continue to see the progress of what's going on. And it's, and it's based on actual insight. Then you can always test it out and see what will happen, but it depends on your goal. Like for example, if your goal is just to get a lead, um, a contact or a demo in the next like five 
five weeks uh, and they come in through a content, a blog subscription, whatever it is, it doesn't really make a difference, then you shouldn't automate that. You should send them through actual engagement channels or you could use automation to get them through an engagement. So for example, uh, one of the things that I'm doing now is that I'm taking all the topic clusters that we have content for in the current in the and important content content clusters and building individual individual email chains for them, right? And each of those each of those and then I know whichever contact is coming in, I can decide which topic cluster is now relevant for that person because I know what they just engaged with, right? So I can develop their path that's personalized, also scalable. But there's a little bit more intelligence involved, and I can always change things. So there's still intelligence behind it. So there's a there is a little bit of manual work there, and there's also a little bit of automation there as well. Are you leveraging custom scripts, custom solutions for marketing automation, or using Martech solutions to facilitate marketing automation in the organizations you work at? Uh, both. I've I've written a bunch of stuff. I've used a bunch. Uh, I've like. I like let's say I would use like an API pulled into Google Sheets, and then that would uh, like one thing recently is that I want everything to be in our CRM for the for marketing, but the salespeople use a completely different system. They use Salesforce. There are certain things that can't be easily transferred from Salesforce to uh, to HubSpot. So I sort of use a workaround. This is a custom script that sends those things back into to HubSpot. For the listener who's curious, what resources would you recommend they search for leverage to learn more about marketing automation in general? Uh, marketing automation is a tricky one because you don't want to get a software or a platform just because it, it's shiny, right? Just because it's there. Because at the end of the day, um, it has to serve a function that can be held accountable for that function in your business rather than, and has to, and anytime you take budget for this, it, that takes budget away from something else. And some of these MarTech solutions are really expensive. So that could take away from other resources that you may need a little bit while. So the best things to do, in my opinion, is to, uh, is to understand what kind of problems you're dealing with right now what things you would like to do that would make uh, your you function a lot better, a lot more efficiently, and then see and then see the tools that can help with that. If there's a group of tools that can one tool or two tools that can do all that stuff and it's pretty well and it's pretty high quality can actually do that stuff well, then research into that particular tool itself. But marketing automation is there to solve problems. And if you're using it for the sake of it, you're just wasting money. Other than that, just look at the, the tools that most people are using, get familiarity with it. A lot of these things come with just trying it out. One of the things that I did back in the days when I, when I was still in university is that I created an analytics account, a free analytics account. I, I, I put up like a random website. It was nothing just to learn how to use Google Tag Manager to put up Google Analytics. And I put up a, a dummy Google Ads account just to, get, just to get familiarity with it and not just have it like an abstract concept. Just take the main platforms that you want to use, that you should be using, that you aspire to use, 
and just learn it. Just um, play around with it, do some research on it, and that, 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 that'll go a long way. You mentioned something that I want to shine a light on. I don't want to just move past to another question because it's very important. It doesn't only apply to marketing automation, but marketing technology in general, creating dummy accounts. I feel like that's something that can be done even if on the weekend, on your off hours, especially if you're looking to gain more insight or at least get accustomed to a, a tool, even if you're not directly involved with it and you have team members that are, just so you can get a better sense of how to delegate, how to collaborate with other marketers on your team. Personal example for me, back in 2016, I wanted to learn more about website development, website design. So I created my own WordPress website that has since been helpful in doing SEO for my name. But through that practice, I was able to learn more about the challenges, the day-to-day tasks that web developers have to deal with And that then in turn helps me collaborate with web developers, whether it's in an internal team or an external engagement that I have with them. So I just wanted to quickly shine a light on that because I think that was very important. Uh, That's actually a really good point, Deb. There's nothing that really can compare to actual experience, even if you're running a fake account. And one of the things that I, one of the things that you mentioned is it helps you collaborate with like the people that would actually do it. And it really does. Uh, I work with developers and I know exactly, and because I played around with certain things that are related to them, I know what I need from them and I know how to convey it to them um, because of that experience. Anyone who goes to your LinkedIn profile, even without looking at your bio or your headline, can see that you've had many different experiences with different marketing functions and you've taken the generalist approach In the past, I've had guests on the podcast who talk about you should be a T-shaped marketer, do different things, but then eventually specialize in one specific function. Other marketers have said being a generalist helps you, especially in the early stages of your career, but maybe not down the road. I would love to know your opinion on the generalist approach and also why did you decide to be a generalist? So, so I want to add in, and I think there's a third category there, which is uh, what I call myself. Uh, and I know a few other people, I believe also there's Jay Barron. I believe he calls himself something similar as well. And that is a deep generalist, it, which is different. It, it sounds like the same as just a general generalist, but there is a, there is a key distinction. And that is a generalist has basic knowledge about most things in marketing. A deep generalist, as what it sounds, has almost specialist knowledge in in a lot of the different areas it has a, it's it, it's a working a working knowledge of most of the aspects of marketing not just one or two things and I, I can't say that I've got obviously I'm not an expert in every element of marketing but I do appreciate all the different areas of marketing and I do um, make it my business to try and learn as much of it get as much experience and really delve into it. And there is like, there's definitely the argument that I see for being like this a specialist is you really become an expert in one thing and everybody's telling everybody to niche down into one particular thing. And if you become, and then you can sort of succeed in that area. And if you succeed in that area, you can really, uh, you can really succeed properly. You can grow in that chain a lot more. And the thing is that if your goal is to, 
If your goal is at the end of your career or in the middle of your career that you want to be the best of that field, then go ahead, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Generalists are good in the beginning. Like normal generalists are good in the beginning when you've just left sort of university and this is why they consider it basic is because it's good for you to sort of get a feel for different things and choose which path you have an affinity. Don't like choose straight out of the gate what you want. Get a feel and like what excites you, uh, like kind of what excites you a bit more, uh, go for that. I've seen plenty of people that started off in, I know a friend of mine, he started off in marketing automation and realized that he really enjoyed content strategy. And he, he moved over to that. I know another guy that went from being, he started off, he went, he started off being a journalist and then really liked SEO. And so he went full, full scale into that. But it goes back to kind of what I said before is that the way that I view businesses is that it's this mechanism. And for every, every, for the company to survive, every function has to function properly. And marketing isn't separate from that. It, it needs to see itself as part of that, as part of the growth of that company. And it's a key part of the growth of that company. So it's not, it's not that like, let's say you run the best, the best, paid ads account that you can possibly get. That's still only one function of that growth of that company. There are multiple, there are multiple elements. And even the paid media itself, that's it's not just that it's one area within that growth. It's just that it it's kind of also out of context as well. That that paid media is in a context of of a wider growth strategy if the company has an actual growth strategy that it's supposed to serve a function. But what I found is that 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 kind of two things that with a lot of people that are, that especially in marketing agencies where they're sort of pricing it based off like different services and different channels and stuff like that you end up with sort of a, a, a sort of like a politics being played that this channel versus this channel um, should get more budget because it's based on how they make their money. And then each channel wants the most out of that because they want to be successful. So you end up having, it becomes like because their KPI is, for example, that their channel needs to spend a certain amount or get a certain result. So then it's not about the company. It's about the channel that they're specialized in. And that's that's very harmful to the actual company itself because it doesn't really take into account what's good for the company and how the company actually grows. So for me, I chose to be a deep generalist because of that kind of thing. I like uh, one of the things that actually I learned in university um, and I actually recommend people take in to look this up. It's called the integrated marketing framework. And it's exactly what I just said. And it's exactly what it sounds. It views everything as a as sort of like a, a piece, a cog that, that needs to spin together in order to make this mechanism work. And for me, becoming a deep generalist means that I can understand how everything fits into, not just everything fits, like how the company grows, but how it fits together in order to get there. And so my focus is not on, do we run a paid ad account? Do we run social or whatever it is? It's about it. And it's not even about like, oh, am I doing demand generation? Am I doing ABM? It's about how do I move this company forward? And the actual strategy or the title of that strategy 
That's it. just becomes meaningless. It's just about actions and activities that you can do that gets to that goal. And that's based on just how I view it and sort of my also my end goal. My end goal isn't just to be the best paid ad person. My my end goal is to be is to actual to drive growth for companies. What makes for a good funnel? What are the essential elements of a good funnel? That is a very good question. It starts off by by understanding who you are. So this is kind of where brand, where brand kind of meets target audience. You have to understand who you are. Because if you think of it like a conversation, right? If you have a conversation with somebody, like whatever, let's say a networking conversation, doesn't really make a difference, right? So you need to know who you are and what you offer that conversation, but you also need to know what they're interested in. And so in any, and where you can find the person that you that you actually want to find. So the elements of a good funnel comes from understanding who you are, what you truly offer, why people would be interested in that, and where you can actually talk to them about that. So it starts off with getting them engaged. And then once you have them engaged, then it's about, then it's about moving to the next level of moving them, moving them to a point where you can sort of either meet them a second time for another conversation or meeting them to the, or moving to a, or depending on where they are, it's just, you want to keep it going until the point where there's a certain readiness where you can say like, Oh, I, I can help you with this. And that could be as, as quickly or as slow as necessary. And you can try and push it as you can. If, if, if there's indicators that, that show that, that, that they would be open to it. So like that, for example, if they've downloaded something, I'm not, not talking about like, you know, normal gated content, but if they've downloaded something on like that says like, you know, I'm actually looking at your product now. It's something of interest. Like if you have like a product or a solutions brief or something like that, whether or a media, whatever it is, that indicator that tells you that they're actually seriously looking and just going up to them and saying, maybe I can help you find out more things about it. Right? Maybe I can help you with it. And you keep it like, very personal to what they what they actually looked at. So you can push it a little bit. It depends on the audience. So the key, so the key aspects of the funnel is sort of knowing who you are, what you offer, um, where your audience is at, and uh, why, why, uh, how can you make them interested in you? And then also understanding what are the indicators that allows you to say, okay, they're ready to. For me to come up to them and say, "Can I? Uh, I can help you with something." Why are content engagement metrics important, and in what context do you use content engagement metrics? Okay, so one of the things I've talked about in, in LinkedIn is there's also a lot of LinkedIn about not using vanity metrics, and where I see them getting uh, at fault almost is that they they change one metric for an, one quantitative metric that could be meaningless on its own to another seemingly more important metric that, that, that is just quantitative, right? Now, what, I've, what I do and what I push is that I don't just look for that quantitative. I frame goals and objectives that means that you have to look for quality. So it's not just like, let's say, for example, let's say you want to look at how much traffic came to your website. Let's say you're brand new, you need to build up sort of presence, or let's say even if it's on social, whatever it is, like, like the actual, the platform doesn't really make a difference, but you want to get some sort of eyeballs. 
So it's not just about, let's say, the eyeball itself, because obviously a traffic to a website by itself means absolutely nothing, right? If you, let's say you had 20, 30% more traffic to your website, by itself, it means nothing. If you're in the SEO game, getting ranking higher doesn't mean anything. That to me is a vanity metric. It's about the click-throughs that come through to your website. That's a qualitative metric for me. But the people that come to your website, it's about, well, what did they do on their website? Did they actually stay? Is that the point of the website is that either it tells them to content or it gets them to look at a product and, and get interest. So you need to look at qualitative elements. You need to look at qualitative elements on either one of those two things to figure out, did that person actually make use of the time on the website and that traffic was actually quality traffic? That's where, that's where content engagement comes in because not most of the people aren't going to, that come to your website aren't ready. They're not going to put in a form that's going to tell them, oh, contact me right now. And that's obvious. But you also want to know that as you're putting resources into content, whether it's social, blogs, podcasts, um, stuff like webinars, that those people that in order for that content piece to be effective, it has to make an impact. And the best, way, the best way to do that is use metrics that give the highest indication to you that an impact has been made. So, for example, let's say you're looking at a blog engagement or let's say video engagement. So it's not just about, uh, let's say, content. Uh, so it's not just about, oh, how many people came to that web page, but it's about the scroll depth they came to, the, the time on page. Did they actually, did they go to another page after that's in that sort of content chain? If it's a video, what percentage of people made it to the 50% mark, the 75% mark to, um, or if you're running transcripts also scrolling through that, that's where customer engagement, content engagement metrics are important because otherwise it's the same thing. It's like you could be producing the best content out there, but you'll never, or fits perfectly with your audience. It's, it's well-written. It has a great story. It's very informative or ent entertaining and it's distributed properly, but you'll never know if it actually has a chance of achieving what you want to do, which is preparing them and getting them to put you top of the mind when they think about your solution or the topic that's there, if it can't make an impact. And so when you're looking at those top and middle of the funnel where content is hugely important in that initial stage, you have to use content engagement metrics and quality, not just like, not just like the quantitative ones. You have to use ones that indicate quality. You mentioned click-through rate as one of those metrics that indicate the quality of, in this case, content. What are some other metrics that you consider besides a click-through rate? On a website? Yeah, let's stick to that. Scroll depth, let's say, percentage of, like, let's say, depends on which page. For example, the home page is uh, menu, let's say, menu clicks, which menu items that they click, what percentage of the pa page they scroll through. You have these huge, uh, these huge pages. I actually did an audit recently of this, of this website. I put, like, a Hotjar or Clarity, Microsoft, I use, using Microsoft Hack Clarity, and I was going through it, and about 75% of people drop off uh, before they even get to like 10% of the page. And it's a huge page with lots of stuff on it and potentially could be good, but most people aren't getting there and most people aren't clicking on anything else. So for me, the homepage, the goal is to get them to the next stage. And so I would look at metrics of that page that tell me, okay, are they clicking on menu items? How far are they scrolling? Are they getting the different elements? Which elements do they tend to hover over the most? Do they have... 
Are they engaging if I have a chatbot there, for example? Are they engaging with the chatbot? And so I look at, is that page accomplishing its goal? And those are the metrics that I use. Another question that I'm going to ask you right on the spot is very important to me because I've had debates about the channel. Why is Quora oftentimes not considered as a good marketing channel? Have you had conversations similar where people might say, Quora is something that we can do. It's a nice to have. We'll do it later. Yeah, it's for some companies, it's very tough um, to convince them to use Quora. I love Quora. It's basically, it boils down to a Quora or Reddit. For me, both of them have hugely, like they're in, they're, the audiences there are very, very responsive. And if you don't feel authentic, they'll probably like thrash you. I like Quora because the topics, the audiences, but it is a harder channel. It's also not, uh, it's not, it's a harder channel because you have to, you can't just use um, traffic as your goal. You actually have to really think about it. You can't be obvious. You have to actually really spend some time and be very thoughtful on the page itself in order to build that. Uh, it's also much more top, middle, funnel. Advertising is still very new. Uh, although a lot of companies do advertise on it, it does have a bit more of a spammy element to it and their advertising is still new. You can't really make like a quick a quick game and it does take a lot of time like, to actually build traction on it. LinkedIn, relative, even though like people say it takes a long time, it's easier to get visibility on somebody's feed than visibility based around posting and answering people's questions on multiple posts because, and you also rely on upvotes and stuff like that. It's not, it's not a, it's not one of the obvious channels that a lot of companies use. And that's why they, that's why they don't want to put resources into a, an experimental channel. Uh, and it's just, it, it takes a lot more thoughtfulness in order to do it well. Can Quora and Reddit be used alternatively as research tools? Yeah, I know people that actually have written books based on their conversations on Quora. He actually wrote it in like the introduction to a book. He said like his whole, his whole book is based around like a conversation or a post that he wrote down on Quora. That's impressive. It was very amusing. But yeah, you can do research if you know how to ask the questions properly. Uh, if you know how to, um, I've used it to do a few surveys. I've asked some questions there um, as well. And I'm probably not as active on it as I would like to be. But yeah, you can use it as research. You can also use it as you can get a lot of people's advice uh, there as well and what they would think. But it, it does require, you can't be overly like businessy. Two more questions for you is, where do you go to continue your marketing education? Are there any resources, newsletters, experts that you follow? I follow a bunch of people. Um, some people a little bit more deeply than others. Over time, I've learned, I've sort of learned to take everything that anybody says online with a huge pinch of salt. And, and that's something that I would recommend uh, to anybody reading a lot online about marketing. Anybody that knows anything about content marketing and inbound marketing realizes that companies produce content for the sole reason of bringing them to their product. So they'll write things in a way that nurtures them to a product. They could, it could be true, whatever it is, but their end goal is their end goal. And so everything, 
And so their focus will be in a way that gets their end goal. So anybody who reads anything needs to kind of take it with a pinch of salt, think a little bit, get some experience. So I look at certain things like um, I do sometimes listen to some of the podcasts, uh, different podcasts. I like Jay Barron's Highly Questionable Marketing. Um, there's B2B Growth by uh, Sweetfish Media. They have a very interesting approach to how they do their podcasts. I find them fascinating. Uh, every now and then there's something else. I have SEM Journal, one of these other ones. I have like an, uh, I use Feedly and it has like all the different, it has like all the different things that I look at. I don't remember all of them off by heart. I do look at people on LinkedIn. Uh, I don't necessarily, but I, again, I look at it with like a pinch of salt to see, like to try and think a little bit more. And experience. If I, I look at what I want to, what I want to find out and I Google it or I play around with it. I think it's very important to mention Feedly because I use it too. And it's been a game changer for me just to curate from the, all the noise, the specific topics that I want to learn about. And I can just go to one topic and say, okay, so I'm learning about SEO this week. Here's some things that I can read. Oh, from these list of articles, I found some potential podcast guests that I can get deeper conversations with. That's just an example of how I use Feedly. So yes, my last question for you is hypothetical because time machines don't exist, but if they did, <laughs> And you can go back into the past, knowing everything you know right now, let's say 10 years into the past. How would you accelerate the speed of your career? Very good question. I would say that to sort of, like there are certain channels that, that um, I, I still do this a little bit now. I'm not so like comfortable with certain channels um, and to just sort of try them anyway. You... Any, like you can't, like if you don't start, you'll never get better at something. And so just sort of manage a little bit what I could start, try something new, try a new project more consistently. Again, uh, like just the experience is key, even if it's just like a dummy thing. Like you mentioned that you started this podcast based around like your own learnings is sort of like your own journal and doing something like that, really just, just looking at different things as much as possible Try in a, in a sort of organized way, give yourself time to do one thing at a time for a little bit of time uh, for whatever it is, if you can handle two things at a time and just try it out. You'll learn nobody's perfect on the first try. The fear that stopped me from doing so many things early in my career was just, I laugh at it now because I know much better that, that I know much better than that. There's still certain things that it still holds me back, but just trying things out doing a test even if it's not like fully public in the beginning just do it for the sake of doing it to and then as you the more you do it the more you, like the more like you do it the more you realize like new things of how to do it how to do it better and just to do more of that as early and on as early and on as possible um i think that would have been very very helpful at the beginning perfect thank you so much yes for sharing all of your wisdom today on the podcast if anyone wanted to say hello to you online where could they find you uh they can find me on linkedin i'm very very responsive but i like it when people message me uh so uh, linkedin is really the best place or they could um they could uh send me an email i guess perfect i'll put your email in the show notes as well as your linkedin profile and again thank you for your time and thank you to you the listener for listening to another episode of the people digital marketing podcast with your host kenny soto and as always i hope you have a great week and last thing as always 
If you can, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. We're trying to get more reviews, even if it's just five stars and one sentence that just says, Kenny's cool. That works for me. And yeah, that's the that's the request. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Bye. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't go. I have to let you know that there will be a new guest, as there always is, for the next episode. And I just wanted to give you a sneak preview into who they are. So the next guest on episode 84 of the People Digital Marketing, we will have Maya Grossman. Now, who's Maya? Maya Grossman used to work as Vice President of Marketing at Canvas, Strategic Advisor on the product marketing side of things for Google. She was the Vice President of Marketing at Kulu, and she was the Head of Global Product Marketing for Microsoft for their startups division. Now, she is a career coach, and she helps marketers level up and become leaders in the space. And she's also, excuse me, a startup advisor. So if you are looking to become a VP of marketing, head of marketing, CMO, what have you, next episode is going to be amazing. I have a lot of questions that I ask her. And I think you're going to really, really like it. So if you enjoyed this interview with Yiz, definitely subscribe so that you don't miss out on the next interview with Maya Grossman. Hey, thanks again for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to submit a rating and leave a review on your podcasting app. Reviews like this help to grow this podcast and get it to more people like yourself, people who want to grow in their marketing careers. If you want to say hello, you can find me on any social media platform by simply searching Kenny Soto. I look forward to hearing from you soon. And as always, let's keep growing together.